I thank my God in all my remembrance of you, always in every prayer of mine for you all, making my prayer with joy because of your partnership in the gospel from the first day until now. And I am sure of this, that he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion at the day of Jesus Christ. It is right for me to feel this way about you all, because I hold you in my heart, for you are all partakers with me of grace, both in my imprisonment and in the defense and confirmation of the gospel. For God is my witness, how I yearn for you all with the affections of Christ Jesus. And it is my prayer that your love may abound more and more with knowledge and all discernment, so that you may approve what is excellent, and so be pure and blameless for the day of Christ, filled with the fruit of righteousness that comes through Jesus Christ, to the glory and praise of God. Yes, we are chasing joy through the book of Philippians. I can't wait to dive into that. Can I just real quick just encourage you, what we just, what that video, cool, Mr. Jerry, and investing in the next generation of Jesus followers, that could be you. If you're not serving in a meaningful way here at Venture, we want to help you assist in making that happen. You know, I, I couldn't help but think as I watched that, there's a reciprocal nature to serving. We get to give and we give to get. It's kind of like you can't outgive God even in that nature as well. I dare say the time that Jerry has spent with those kiddos has grown his heart in incredible ways as it has grown theirs. We would desire that for you as well. Hit our church website, venturechristian.church slash serve. Get connected in a meaningful serving opportunity. Speaking of serving, you might not know this, but every Sunday morning, about the time, especially here the second service, second hour, about the time you're getting up and getting going in the morning, maybe you're brushing your teeth, maybe you're getting your first cup of coffee of the morning, getting ready to head this way. We've got a crew of folks early morning, a small army of servants, volunteers, people that are here to serve God by serving you. We gather together up here on this space in a big circle, and we pray. We pray for you. We did that this morning. And uh, as we were talking right before we prayed, I shared with that crew, I'll share the same thing with you today. I reflected back on um, last week. You know, we shared a picture last Sunday, Pastor Tony, who was just up here in this space. He texted out to the whole church staff a, uh, an image, a picture he took of some spring bulbs poking their way up through the ground down by door number three. One of you planted those bulbs back in our new life season last fall, anticipating the spring that's coming up. Well, they were starting to come up. We joked about how they're all confused. They're even more confused today. I think it was negative two when I got up this morning. Oh my goodness, it's cold out there. I was curious, so I did a little bit of research. And by research, I mean I Googled this. I wanted to know, hey, how late in the year can you plant a spring bulb and still with some certainty expect to see it about Easter time? Maybe you're curious as well. I thought it was like November. You have to plan it like, nope, this is what it says. After the first frost or snowstorm, you might assume that your bulb planting days are over. I sure did. But as long as the ground is workable, hold on to that thought, you can plant bulbs. This means that you can plant bulbs as late as January. I looked up, I think we're zone five, just barely. That's what they're talking about here. If you dig a hole deep enough to plant it, 
plant tulips and daffodils as late as the end of January. It's frigid out there today. You can't do it right now, but I hear there's a heat wave coming. By Thursday, it's supposed to be 51 degrees. I bet you could get a spring bulb in the ground then. Some of you are thinking, hey, I'll do that on Thursday. I want to take that thought and extend it just one step further. Could we think about the spiritual realm? Part of what we're doing here as we chase joy, this journey through Philippians, we're trying to even things out just a little bit. Happiness, sadness, fear, at rest, the human emotion, oh my goodness, we're just up and down like this, right? Joy is designed to be a baseline, a steady state we lean into. You can do this. You can plant this deep in the soil of your heart. What did the phrase say? As long as the ground is workable. Is your heart ready for that? Is the soil workable? I pray it is. As we dive in, I can't wait to hear what God has to teach us today. If you have not done so already, open up one of these journals. By the way, if you haven't grabbed one of these, get them while they're hot. Uh, they're almost gone. They're out there in the lobby. Uh, you can grab one of those or open your Bible to Philippians chapter 1. I'm in verse 3. The title of today's message is Thank You. Paul is, before he dives in with instruction and encouragement and challenge to the Philippian church, He's simply saying thanks. That's a good principle right there. We're going to read that. We're going to study that. There's a thank you. There's also a prayer. Here's the big idea today. You're going to hear me say this several times. Thank God that he does what he does in us. And we do what we do for him. There's a bit of a reciprocal relationship there as well. We talked about through that through the lens of serving. Let me illustrate. Let me put this up here on the screen. God does what he does in us. He's doing that. We just sang it in a song a bit ago. You heard Caleb reference the gospel. And then we're going to sing the message of the gospel in that last song that we just sang. The message of what Jesus has done for us. God does what he does in us. So we do what we do for him in our workplace, in our school, at the grocery store. I don't know. I don't care where you are. Worship is 24-7. It's an act of worship before God wherever we go. God does what he does in us so that we can do what we do for him. This is the beautiful prayer we want to end our time together with today. Thank you, God, for what you do in me. We could even get a little bit poetic with this language. Let my life be a living thank you note for you. If I were to summarize the prayer we're getting ready to read, the thank you note that we're getting ready to read, that's how I would summarize it. If you're taking notes in this journal, you might even want to write that down. Thank you, God, for what you do in me. Let my life be a living thank you note for you. Okay, let's read together. I'm in verse 3, chapter 1 of the book of Philippians. I thank my God in all my remembrance of you. I told you early on 
I memorized this years ago in the 1984 version of the NIV. That group of translators translate that phrase just a little bit different. I thank my God every time I remember you. Every time you come to mind, I thank God because of who you are and what you've done in my life. I kind of love that. By the way, when you see you here in the text, the proper way to pronounce that is the good southern approach. It's actually all y'all. He's writing this to a group of believers, the church in Philippi. By the way, this has nothing to do with what we're reading right now, but are you curious where that city got its name from? Philip. King Philip, Philip Philip of Macedon, who, by the way, was Alexander the Great's daddy. He conquered that city. He renamed it after himself. They were proud of their heritage. That plays a little bit into the reading of the text we'll get into in a different week. I thank my God in all my remembrance of you always in every prayer of mine. Here we go. For all y'all making my prayer with joy because of your partnership. Hold on to that word. We're going to come back to that in a minute. In the gospel, the good news of Jesus, from the first day, when was that? We'll explore that. Until now, and I am sure of this, that he who began a good work in you. By the way, if you're looking for a verse to memorize this week, that's a pretty good one. He who began a good work in you will bring it to completion at the day of Jesus Christ. It's right for me to feel this way about you all because, oh, I love this phrase, because I hold you in my heart. Isn't that poetic? That's just poetry. We're going to dive in on that here in a bit. For you are all partakers with me of grace. We are all recipients of this grace from God, both in my imprisonment. Remember, he's writing this from a cruel Roman jail cell. He's writing back to Philippi, this outpost. And in the defense and confirmation of the gospel, for God is my witness, how I yearn for you all, all y'all, with the affection of Christ Jesus. Those are big words there. Yearn, affection, it reads a little bit like a 16-year-old girl's diary. He's pointing that towards God. We're going to talk about that as well. Here's what we're going to do for the time that we have together, the rest of the message time. We've got three sources of thankfulness that we're going to pull straight out of the text. We're going to add that together with four prayer points. I'm going to uh, end the time there. Actually, let's go back one slide, and I want to read to you that part, the prayer points. It's my prayer that your love may abound more and more with knowledge and with all discernment, so that you may approve what is excellent, and so be pure and blameless for the day of Christ, filled with the fruit of righteousness that comes through God, Jesus Christ, to the glory and praise of God. Let's go back to our slide. Three sources of thankfulness. We're going to spend most of the time in that first chunk of Scripture. Then we're going to land the plane with four prayer points. We just read that part of the text. You add those together... Well, that's a pretty good start to chasing joy. A start, you say, week three of the series? Well, yeah, week one, we did an overview. Last week, we preached a whole sermon on two verses, looking at who the letter is written to. We're going to dive in in a big way today. 
Let's talk about three sources of thankfulness. If you're taking notes, you probably want to write these down. Remember, thank God that he does what he does in us, and we do what we do for him. Here's the first source of thankfulness. Verses 3 through 5 talk deeply about partnership. You've got the Apostle Paul writing back, and he's grateful, he's thankful for the partnership that he has together with this group of believers. Three things stand out. The first is partnership. We see this in verse 5. Because of your partnership in the gospel from the first day, we need to examine that, what's he talking about, until now. We're going to look at that as well. But partnership is a big deal. Paul was chasing joy several ways. He's chasing joy by remembering, first of all, healthy church dynamics. He's remembering what happened in Philippi, and here he is writing from a cruel Roman jail cell, and it's warming his heart to remember some really healthy things that he experienced while he was together with that church. Here at Venture, you hear us often talk about how we seek Jesus and we see you. The first part of that is we're calling you to venture home. Come home. Venture home. You're one. We would invite them to join us here in a healthy dynamic of home as well. That's my favorite metaphor in all of Scripture for us, for who we are. We're a family. We desire to be a healthy family. With healthy family dynamics, Paul is remembering some of those. I couldn't help but think about that this past week. I've told you a few times now that we've bought a new to us house and we're in the middle of doing some much needed renovations. And I keep thinking about the first church that I served. Several times I've gone to pick up a tool or I've had a moment where I'm getting ready to do a thing. And I think about a friend of mine from years ago. His name is Tim Sipe. Tim and Becky, a little bit older than Dawn and I. We were just starting out in ministry, but quite honestly, both of us were a little older than them in the faith. We had been walking with Jesus for a little while longer. They were fairly new to faith. And I remember that reciprocal relationship well. Tim, well, he had some wisdom from life experience. His kids were actually in my youth group. I was the youth pastor. We bought an old house, and we spent five years remodeling that house. I can't even tell you how many times you'd find Tim at my house with a tool of his that I had borrowed to accomplish a chore, and then he would gently and kindly and lovingly show me how to use it well. Sometimes I'd join him at his house to work on one of the projects at his house because he was also remodeling his own home. And I couldn't help but think about that healthy dynamic, and I look back at that season with fondness, and I can't help but wonder, is Paul doing some of the same thing here? He's thinking about a healthy family, a body of Christ, and what he experienced there in Philippi. He's looking back with fondness at healthy memories. By the way, um, they were a source of joy, not just with the church in Philippi, but during that same season, he's writing letters to other churches. Look at the language that he uses with those churches, with those letters early on in Colossians chapter 1, verse 3. We always thank God for the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ when we pray for you. Hit the next one. We're in Thessalonians the church in Thessalonica. We always thank God for all of you and, so, and continually mention you in our prayers. Can we go back one slide? All of the Thessalonians, not all of the Colossians, he's thankful for. 
Feels like there might be another story there. I wonder what he was thinking in that moment. All y'all. That's the language he uses with Philippians as well. He says from the first day until the last. We should unpack that just a little bit. There's some good context here that will serve us well as we continue to study this book together. What was the first day? I'm so glad you asked. If you've got your Bible open in front of you, go back a few books. The fifth book of your New Testament, Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, Acts. Go to Acts chapter 16, I believe. Chapter 16, verse 15, we read here about the day, the first day, when the church in Philippi is planted. It's launched. Note that it's launched in the context of hospitality. That's a pretty good way to launch a church. Look at the story here. When she, her name is Lydia, Lydia had opened up her home, and the members of her household were baptized. The church begins with a baptism service. That's pretty cool. She, Lydia, invited us, Paul is writing this, into, uh, into her home. Hospitality. She said, if you consider me a believer in the Lord, come and stay at my house. And she persuaded us. And he starts doing Bible studies. And they start talking about who Jesus is and what he has done. And more people are invited into her home. That's the context, the launching of the church in Philippi. I love that. That's the first day. Until now. What's the dynamic, the healthy church dynamic that's happening in Philippi in the church? Remember, this is written to the saints in Philippi. What's happening now? Well, there's some giving and receiving, a reciprocal relationship going on with Paul. Check this out. Philippians chapter 4, he talks about it. Skip ahead to verse 15 of chapter 4. And you Philippians yourselves know that in the beginning of the gospel... When I left Macedonia, I left your region, took the good news of Jesus with me to go plant a church somewhere else. No church extended or entered into partnership with me in giving and receiving except you only. You guys modeled this so well. Even in Thessalonica, you sent me help for my needs once and again. No wonder he's thankful. This church doesn't have a lot of resources. We learn elsewhere that they're fairly impoverished, but they are giving in an amazing way to further, gospel, further the gospel of Jesus Christ. That's what's happening now. Even at the end of the book of Philippians, he references this through a courier. They have sent encouragement and funds to him to further the gospel message. Philippians chapter 4, verse 18, I've received full payment and more. I'm well supplied, having received from Epaphroditus the gifts you sent, a fragrant offering, a sacrifice acceptable and pleasing to God. Thank you. I can't help but think about this truth, that venture. We have a heart for global missions. We have partnerships with the gospel literally all over the world. We talked about this a fair amount during New Life. It bears repeating. When we give on a Sunday morning, or maybe you do it online during the week, you're literally fueling gospel advancement around the globe. We desire partnership, us and them, mutual encouragement, prayers that go back and forth. This is the model that Paul talks about. In the middle of this, he's recalling pleasant memories. I suspect he's writing in a drafty Roman house arrest, likely, or maybe it's a Roman jail cell. He's writing this letter back. 
and maybe it's a cold day like the last week or so, and he's discovering all of the drafts that are coming in. And he's writing back, and his pleasant memories are warming his heart. Pleasant memories are a blessing in difficult times. You know that. I love this phrase. Somebody said it this way. God gave us memories so that we might have roses in December. We remember back to when they were blooming. And then that reminds us that they will bloom again. That's a pretty good reminder this cold January season. Pleasant memories are a blessing in difficult times. But hear this. Memory can be a curse instead of a blessing. Some of you know this all too well. Maybe sin. Are you just plain messed up? And those memories still haunt you sometimes in the middle of the night. This phrase is interesting. Most people live the first half of their life, making the second half of their life miserable. Don't do that. Don't do that. On either side of the half of your life, don't mess up here so that you regret it later. Have you seen this meme that has floated around the internet some? No regrets. No regrets. Imagine tattooing that to your body and then having to walk around. You talk about a regret. Oops. Well, be careful that you live in such a way that you don't regret later. But when you do mess up, my goodness, this is the power of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Pleasant memories are a blessing in difficult times. Memory can be a curse sometimes instead of a blessing. But Paul's memories of the church in Philippi are precious. And he leans into these. How comforting this must have been for him. What kind of memories are you creating today? I can't help but think about that video we just watched, Mr. Jerry. Those memories that he's investing into some of your kids and grandkids, some of you, your kids were blessed by him. And there's a memory that goes back and forth there. What a great investment. Make sure you're investing well, creating memories that will last. Thank God for what he does, that he does what he does in us, and that we do what we do for him. I said there's three sources of thankfulness. The first one is partnership. We've unpacked that one pretty well. The second one is confidence. Confidence. Verses 6 and 7 talk about this. He says, I'm confident that God will complete his work in all y'all. Well, let's look at the text. Verse 6, I'm sure of this, that he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion. I'm sure of this. I'm confident of this. It's right for me to feel this way about you because I hold you in my heart. I love that phrase. We're going to unpack that here in a minute. You're all partakers with me of grace, both in my imprisonment and in the defense and confirmation of the gospel. Why? Why does he have confidence? Why? Well, a couple of reasons. First of all, the faithfulness of God. Paul knows the God who has began a good work in him will see it to completion. He has confidence in who God is. Look at this. He writes this in 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 13. God is faithful. He won't let you be tempted beyond what you can bear. But when you are tempted, and you will be, he will also provide a way out so that you can endure it. God's faithfulness helps us handle temptation. It also provides forgiveness 
when we succumb to those temptations. 1 John chapter 1, verse 9 says it very clearly. If we confess our sins, he's faithful and just and will forgive us our sins and purify us from all unrighteousness. God is faithful. Notice here in the text that it wasn't just God who was faithful. The Philippians were also faithful. God does his part. We do our part. Thank God that he does what he does in us, and we do what we do for him. Note this, Philippians chapter 1, skip down to verse 29. Look at this. For it has been granted to you that for the sake of Christ, you should not only believe in him, but also suffer. Oh, wait, I didn't sign up for that. Also suffer for his sake engaged in the same conflict that you saw I had and now hear that I still have. They were willing to share in the defense, the confirmation of the gospel through their support of Paul. Here's another reason. This is why there was confidence here. Paul knew, and I think by extension the Philippians know, I wonder if you and I have fully leaned into the knowledge of this truth that you are not alone. Paul might be lonely. He might physically be alone as he writes this letter from Rome, but he knows he's not really alone. God is with him. We cooperate with God even as he walks with us. Philippians chapter 2 puts it this way. Therefore, my beloved, as you have always obeyed, so now not only as in my presence, but much more in my absence. We've talked about this verse. Work out your salvation. Continue to work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. God is seeking partnership with you. You're not alone. No, he's with you. He's truly at work within you. Look at Philippians chapter 2, verse 13, the very next verse. For it is God who works in you. God is the one who's doing that. He also will provide to you whatever help you need. If you skip two chapters to Philippians chapter 4, verse 13, he says, I can do all things on my own two feet, right? No, no, no. Through him, through God, who gives me strength. In Hebrews chapter 11, we see this referenced as well. See to it, brothers and sisters, that none of you has a sinful, unbelieving heart that turns away from the living God. But do this. Encourage one another daily, as long as it's called today, so that none of you would be hardened by sin's deceitfulness. Thank God that he does what he does in us, and we do what we do for him. I told you there were three sources of thankfulness. We've got partnership. We've got confidence. Can we take a couple minutes and talk about heart? Paul leaks his heart in this letter. I said earlier it reads a little bit like a 16-year-old girl's love letter. He's not all sappy with romantic love here, but he's talking about true heart strength, a heart posture. He uses words here like longing. Well, let's look at it. He says, because I hold you in my heart. What a beautiful poetic phrase. 
For God is my witness, how I yearn for you with all the affection of Christ Jesus. We need to grab that and run with it. The Bible talks about heart all the way through it. We just read a passage from Hebrews, actually, that talks about how an unbelieving heart will turn away from the living God. Maybe this is why Scripture says very clearly, above all else, guard your heart, for it's the wellspring of life. If you go Old Testament, go old school, Moses, the book of Exodus, there's an interaction with Pharaoh. Perhaps you remember that story. That the text says literally that God hardened his heart. So he kind of turned a deaf ear and a blind eye to the plight of God's people in Egypt. Skip ahead a little bit in the Bible story. David talks about the heart. He's described as a man after God's own heart. I've shared this resource with you before, but oh my goodness, if you're a leader, and by the way, you are, we doubt our leadership sometimes. Some of us don't think of ourselves as a leader. Oh my goodness, mamas, if you are raising kids, if you're a stay-at-home mom, you have a little seminary in your home, you better believe you are a leader we lead in our workplace in some area. We lead at school students in some area. We're all called to be self-leaders, so we all have a burden of leadership that we carry. I love this resource. It's called A Work of Heart, subtitled Understanding How God Shapes Spiritual Leaders. It's by Reggie McNeil. I would recommend that book as a read to any of you. I love how he unpacks that story of the heart through the Bible. Moses is a heart on mission. David is a heart after God. Paul, we're studying him right now, a heart captured by God and Jesus. Oh, let's apply this heart thing, shall we? Jesus, incarnationally, God in the flesh. Jesus is the heartbeat of God. I love the progression of heart language through Scripture. I love that phrase, I hold you in my heart. One of our boys, when he was little, there was a secret he wanted to hear from his mama. And she, I don't know what that secret was. She wasn't sharing it with him. And he said, hey, don't worry, don't worry. I'll just tuck it in my heart. I can hold that. You can trust my heart for that. Another one of our boys, when he was just tiny little, we've got these friends that we call family, family maybe. And he described them, he said, Ray and Andrea just feel like they're a part of my heart. This is the kind of I hold you in my heart that Paul is calling us toward. Note a couple of things about this. Note Paul's affection. Paul's affection. He's using deep language here. He's making a solemn promise. He says, as God is my witness, I hold you in my heart. That's a phrase I often use when I'm feeding vows to a couple when they're exchanging vows in a wedding ceremony. As God is my witness, I give you my promise. Paul's used in that kind of language. As God is my witness, I hold you in my heart. And he describes it as the affection of Christ Jesus. Well, what is that? Jesus described that kind of affection. John chapter 13, one of his last conversations with his disciples, a new command I give you, love one another. As I have loved you, so you must love one another. By this, everyone will know that you are my disciples if, if you love one another. Do you hold one another in your hearts? 
Note Paul's affection. Note our affection. He's calling the Philippians to a higher standard, and by extension, he's calling you and I to a higher standard as well. I was having this conversation about love with one of you not long ago. We were talking about how sometimes we were called to say the hard things. The Bible puts it this way, speak the truth to one another in love. We usually get that out of balance one way or the other. We're too heavy on the truth side or we're too heavy on the love or perceived love side. Listen, it is not loving to knowingly let somebody walk off of a cliff without warning them. We speak the truth in love. It's not loving to pull a punch and lie to one another by not speaking the truth. This is how the world, by the way, will know that we are disciples of Jesus. John chapter 13, did you see it? By this, everyone will know that you're my disciples if, if you go the extra mile, if you love all y'all, if you love one another well. This love is taught to us by God. He's modeled it well. 1 Thessalonians chapter 4 verse 9 says this, you yourselves have been taught by God to love one another. So put it into practice. Don't pull a punch. Speak the truth in love. Go the extra mile in loving one another. His example of his own son, Jesus, is the model that we seek to follow here. 1 John chapter 3, 16. This is how we know what love is. Jesus laid down his life for us, and we ought to lay down our lives for each other. That is high sacrifice. That is a high bar of love that he calls us to. Thank God that he does what he does in us and that we do what we do for him. Three kind of thankful points there. I told you that we would end, land the plane with four beautiful prayer points, and I want to do that with the remainder of the text. I want to point out that in the language here, there's four beautiful prayer points, and really it's poetic. It's like Hebrew poetic structure here. You really need to build the last three on the first one. Think of it like you would build a staircase. We've got to start with the first on the bottom, and then we're going to build up from there. How is your prayer life? Paul starts his note to the Philippians, thank you, and then he prays for them. We just bought a new-to-us house. It needs some work. We had a whole crew of guys come over to our house a week ago, and we saw love in action. It was so cool to watch these guys swarm and gals swarm, and they pulled up the floor, and somebody cooked a meal for us. It was so cool to watch that. We're waiting for the meal. We're standing there. I think everybody's waiting for the preacher to pray. While we're waiting, I look over, and my friend Russ is looking at the staircase, and I just kind of see a look on his face. He kind of cocks his head a little bit, and he grabs a level that's there, and he walks over, and he puts it on the staircase, and I think, oh, he sees something. As a new homeowner, I'm curious what he sees, because I know he knows what he's talking about. What do you see? Oh, I, I, nothing. I don't, I don't think I see that. Well, I saw it a few days later. I'm in there. I put my own level on there. And not so much looking from this direction, but when I walked around, I looked at the staircase this way. I saw that each of the treads is leaning just a little bit like that. 
This leads to a conversation. Dawn and I are talking about this, and hey, this house has some issues. It's an old house. And then we started using the word charming. <laughs> you know, charming is kind of a code word for janky, right? Are your prayers charming? Are they janky? Maybe we need to build up the structure of our prayer life just a little bit. Here's four prayer points. They build on one another. Let's grab them from the text, and then we're done. This is what he says. It's my prayer that your love may abound more and more with knowledge and all discernment so that you may approve what is excellent and so be pure and blameless for the day of Christ filled with the fruit of righteousness that comes through Jesus Christ to the glory and praise of God. It's poetic. There's four prayer points. They build on the first. It's this. As we pray this week, here's what we're praying for. We're inviting God to fill our hearts with more love. It all gets built on there. More love. Did you see it in the text? My prayer that your love may abound more and more. We want more love. Paul's praying that for them. He's praying that for us. We're praying that for each other. We're praying that for our own hearts. How about the second one? We build on love with more excellence. Do you see it here in the text? That you may approve what is excellent and be pure and blameless. blameless. More excellence. Lean into that. God, let me do better for you. Here's the third prayer point, more purity. Do you see that there in the text? And so be pure and blameless for the day of Christ. God, come into my heart. This week, I'm building on the base of love. I want to be more excellent. And God, would you purify some of the rottenness inside of me? I don't want to be haunted the second half of my life with mistakes I make today. Guard me against that now. And fourth, definitely not the least, more righteousness. As I pray for more love and excellence and purity, my goodness, God, would I look more like you? We pull that straight out of the text. Fruit of righteousness. The what I do... What I plant today, those bulbs this Thursday that I stick in the ground, the things that I open my heart up to right now as we study the text together, that there's a harvest of righteousness that comes later. That's what I'm praying for. Would you stand up with me? I want to pray toward that end right now. I want to pray for this week that we're getting ready to step into. Can I remind you, we've been saying we thank God that he does what he does in us, and we do what we do for him. And here's the beautiful prayer that we started with, and we would conclude it with this. Thank you, God, for what you do in me. Let my life be a living thank you note for you. Would you bow your heads? God, I thank you. I thank you for what you've done in us. I thank you for the gospel that does its work transforming our lives. We thank you. Lord, as we think about the week we're getting ready to step into, as we respond in worship right now, would you fill our minds with things, with opportunities, with people that we can do what we do for you. We're grateful. We thank you. 
And we want our lives to be a living thank you note to you for what you've done. It's in your name, in Jesus' name, we pray together. Amen.